Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape. Looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, C-Trace, COA and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transport Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klaskow, Senior Freight Transportation and Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have PAM Transportation's President and CEO, Joe Vitrito. PAM Transportation is a public transport company that trades under the ticker PTSI and has a market cap of about $400 million. Joe has served as President and Chief Executive Officer since August 2020. Prior to his employment with PAM, Joe served as Senior Vice President of Pricing and Network Design for Knight Swift Transportation from April 2019 to August 2020. And prior to that, uh, he's been at Knight Transportation and its predecessors since 2003. Welcome to Talking Transports Podcast, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Lee. I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, I was really excited to start talking to you about the uh, the truckload market. That's, uh, that's what PAM operates in. Can you tell people a little bit about PAM Transportation? Sure, I can. PAM was founded uh, in 1980 with five trucks and 15 trailers. Today, we have uh, approximately 2,400 trucks and 8,000 trailers. Um, we also have a large non-asset business uh, and warehousing business. Uh, we do a mix of cross-border business and U.S. domestic business. And when you say non-asset, you're talking about uh, freight brokerage? Brokerage, and I would say asset light, meaning, hey, we have some power only, and which, you know, we're, we've got third-party carriers using our trailers. And then um, also, too, we do some warehousing. So I, I would consider that in sort of our non-asset business, too, because we use it on the non-asset side also to create truckloads. And the truckload business, is that over the road, dedicated, a mix? It's, it, it's a mix, but it's a majority over the road. Okay. And then, you know, what kind of end markets does PAM, uh, are they exposed to? So automotive. So we've been an automotive carrier for a long time. It's, it makes up about 40% of our total revenues. But we also do quite a bit with CPG, retail, durable goods, and industrial goods also. Okay. And, and your business mix you know, the spot market's been hammered as of late and the contractual market is uh, seen to be following. Are, are you mostly in the contractual market or is it, a, is it a split between spot and contractual? So I'll give you 
just sort of some high level numbers, our asset business is about 96% contractual at this time. We're a little flexible there when it makes sense to be in the spot market. We'll change that mix uh, some, um, but it's been it's proven out over time that you know keeping that percentage of contractual on the asset business high is is a good uh, you know good way to protect your business in all cycles. Um, our non-asset business though is uh, about seventy five percent contractual now. And this is where we'll get uh, some leverage as the spot market comes back up, we'll delever a little bit or grow our business uh, a little more on the spot side and less on the contractual side to give us a good mix there. When you put your toe in the spot market, does that end up becoming contractual business over the long term when, you, when you're dealing with these customers for the first time? I mean, that's our objective. I would say that... Uh, Anytime you can turn something into more long-term and meaningful for a relationship with you and your customer, you're gonna, it's gonna benefit you if you stay focused on it. Some of it is very transactional. Um, you know, a customer has a problem, fix it now, and you use that as an opportunity to grow contractual business also by getting in on a spot load or a transactional load uh, from time to time with maybe a customer that doesn't understand what you can execute um, and they're willing just to try out. Right. And, and right now, you know, the market, the spot market is relatively loose. When conditions were tight uh, 18 months ago, with where was that 96% that was contractual? Was, was that below 90%? It was below 90. It was, it was in the probably, probably about 85%. So we, we had about 15% of our asset-based business in the spot. And if you look at the non-asset, it was probably 55% contractual and 45% spot. So when you're looking at the market today, um, what are you seeing and where do you expect this market to go? Because conditions are, are pretty loose. Like I mentioned, rates are, 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 are taking a, a beating. So, so where do you think things are going from here? You know, Lee, I, I don't consider myself to be an expert in predictions. But, but I think, hey, with my 30 years of experience, I've been through quite a few ups and downs in the market side of things. And I would say that, you know, right now it's really a capacity problem. Um, freight, actually, if you look at volumes in, in some of the, you know, publicly available information, uh, you see that freight volumes are actually pretty decent where things have, uh, you know, just have been a little bit different is that, um, you know, capacity has been way stickier in a da this down cycle than I've seen uh, in past ones. So I think if you look at predicting, it's, it's pretty cloudy still. I think there are signs that things have to improve. If you look at co the cost side of the equation for, you know, trucking companies, uh, there's going to have to be increases in rates at some point because the rate levels are not sustainable for most all carriers at this, uh, you know, at this point in the cycle. So I think, you know, when is still up for debate, but I would say that 2024, we're going to see things on the rate side uh, start to move up. It's not going to, I don't believe it's going to 
you know, take a rocket ship ride up, but I think there's going to be some pressure from all the asset-based carriers to have to move rates up to be able to cover the increased cost and have enough left over to reinvest in their business. Yeah, the lift in rates, I would agree with you, is probably going to come from the supply side. So why do you think the supply has been so sticky? Why do you think owner-operators that might not even be generating a profit are, are still around? I think there's, you know, I, I would I would probably say there's a few things. A lot of times in the past, maybe it was the, the, the you know, the small guys that were the problem. And they still they still can be. But I think there's some things that have changed probably through the pandemic and even even started to do that before was, you know, you've got this proliferation of brokerage. OK, so in essence, what I mean by that, it, it's not a bad thing. We got a brokerage that grew during the pandemic also. But what what's happened is there are so many more brokers out there today than if you look at five, 10 years ago and customers have changed their thought process around how they're going to work with brokers. It used to be that, hey, you'd have a few brokers that were meaningful enough for customers that they get put into routing guides. Well, nowadays, I think it's become commonplace, or at least during the this down cycle, uh, for us, we've seen more and more brokers get put into primary carrier type uh, positions which in the past they might not have been able to. So what that does is it gives the small guy, like you were saying, uh, the owner operator and so forth, so forth, access to more consistent freight, the contractual stuff um, that has been a has been rated a bit higher, obviously, to this point in the market. And uh, so I think that's helped. So or or hurt the market a little bit from the standpoint of. Hey, the access is different than it was maybe in other down cycles. Uh, private fleet additions have been uh, very heavy and continue to be heavy as they take risk off the table from, you know, the pandemic and and the challenges that they're that many of our customers faced. I think private fleets got quite a bit of investment and growth over this time, and they've continued to grow. There's data that would show that also, um, and then. I think what, what also happened is because of all the larger carriers having excess capacity and it being tough to hire drivers through the last, I'd say, two years before this year. So 2021, 2022, it was tough to find drivers. And so you had this, uh, this excess capacity that might have been sitting on the fence or it was just not working at the level it needed to work at um, because there weren't enough drivers. I you, you can see it in the public company's numbers where we really have not, as a group, have not shrunk our truck count significantly. So you got a bunch of different things. You got, hey, the brokers, you've got private fleets and you got big trucking companies uh, with 500 or more trucks that have added during this time because Although it's never been easy to find drivers, it's easier to find drivers today. All right. And then, um, you know, you, you mentioned drivers. So, you know, we, we like to talk about a driver shortage. We think that's a structural problem, maybe not so much now as it was 18 months ago. So what you're saying is that it, it's easier for uh, Pam to 
not only uh, attract but retain drivers? I would say it's marginally easier to attract. It's still difficult to retain. Um, that's an area where I think all trucking companies can get be- can get better. And I, I think one of the things that everybody, you know, for many years since I've been in this business, we've talked about a driver shortage. I think it's I, I think it's all uh, predicated on a couple different things. But the most important thing is a lot of people don't understand the lifestyle of being out over the road and how tough it can be on folks. And so people get into this business thinking that it's going to be an easy way for them to get a job, a steady job and make good money. But then they get into it and see that they're out on the road uh, and away from families longer than expected. And I think there's been a lot of good work that's been done by trucking companies to try to get guys home uh, more consistently with decent paychecks, but it's still, we still haven't fixed the problem. We still, a guy can't, not all of the drivers can get home every night. And so I think until things change a little bit more or people become more accustomed, which I think is gonna be difficult to being away from their families, we're we're gonna be living with this for a while. And, you know, you see generational changes to where when I came in this business back in the, the, the early 90s, you had a lot of guys that they chose it for a career and been around it for a long time. And we kept adding those folks. And as they start to retire, generationally, some folks are just not accustomed or willing to be out on the road for long periods of time. And then the way that they get treated out over the road uh, by the motoring public or by, uh, you know, shippers or consignees um, with all kinds of rules and and treated, treated like they can't use the, their facilities. We still have customers that we talk to about these kind of things where a driver would go in and need to use the restroom and the customer would say no. So I think we all can continue to work on this. The other thing, the other thing too, is... Um, it's gotten better, but delays at shippers and consignees always create challenges for our drivers. And uh, I think the industry's done a lot of work by trying to do preload and drop type situations with trailers, but there are still opportunities to get better there to, you know, to, to change the quality of life for our drivers. And then the last thing that I'd say on this too is there's studies that have been done. And I think, um, the last one that I read, and I can't remember where I read it from, that there's 11 trucks for every parking truck parking spot out there right now. So it is, I would say, it's it's a tough position to be in when you're fighting for so few spots. And it's important that we continue to invest there because I think it drives frustration and inefficiencies into our supply chain and i don't think there's enough being done there and we don't you can't really tie down to how it impacts the driver but it's just one more thing that uh creates you know anxiety i would say in the drivers and so we've got to keep working on that piece also yeah Yeah, and that's uh you know for those listening you know that's why you always see trucks lined up on the side of the highway they're just trying to you know, park somewhere and, and, and rest because they have mandates where they can only drive a certain amount of time a day. 
Uh, so it's, it's very difficult for them to find a safe place, not only a safe place for them, but safe place for the, for the general driving public. Is, is, is there one or two things that Pam has done over the years to improve that work-life balance for drivers? You know, I think here, here's the way I would uh, look at work-life balances. And, and really, it, it come for me, I like to keep things simple. I look at it like there's different things from, uh, you know, that you need to be really good at. And it's really pay, home time, equipment, and respect. And respect is really culture. And what I, when we talk about pay, it's, it's got to be competitive. And really the competition in our business, it's other trucking companies, but then it's really the trades. So if the trades are throw, you know, construction, electricians, that kind of stuff, if they're throwing money at this and paying more than we are, and there's a disparity between what trucking companies can pay and, and what a guy takes home versus him working uh, closer to home and going to a construction job, he or her, uh, they will they will probably go work the construction job so they can sleep in their own bed each night if there's a big pay gap. Uh, when it's pretty tight, it's it's a different ballgame. So the last few years, there's been immense competition from the trade side. Um, and, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So again, you got to have your pay has to be competitive with your competition and you know, some of the other, other industries that these that our drivers uh, may come from. Uh, home time is really just creating a network and working with customers that allow you to get your drivers home more consistently. And what, we, what you typically see is if you can get somebody home every seven to 10 days, uh, you've got a high likelihood of your turnover being better than if you keep them out for two or three weeks. And then if you can get them home nightly, it, in, you know, it improves significantly. So, um, but the challenge is, Lee, it's do you have uh, the revenue on that individual truck to support that type of business so you can still be profitable, reinvest in your business and pay your driver a decent wage while getting them home? So you have to have the right type of freight to be able to do that. Um, and then when it comes to equipment, you have you need to have some of the best technology out on the road. Um, you know, newest equipment, clean equipment. Um, it has to have uh, the the right creature comforts. In essence, uh, I think that's important. And there's got to be uptime. So meaning they can't be broke down all the time. So you got to invest in a good preventative maintenance program and a maintenance program overall. Um, and then the last thing I would say is really working on the culture is important. So if you're if, and how you treat drivers and how you listen to them and, and they got to feel like they're part of your team. Um, and so it's it's those four things that really help you uh, reduce turnover. Now, it doesn't fix it. There's a lot of other things that have to go into that. But uh, those are the four that I look at that we at PAM consistently are working on to improve every single day. Are you able to lower the average age of your fleet? Because I know equipment availability has been an issue. I know it's gotten better. Where do you guys stand on that to provide the, the best equipment for your drivers? Well, it's been a struggle. Like you said, it, uh, you know, over the last, since I've been here, 
truck deliveries were sporadic. Uh, they've gotten much better. Um, and we are refreshing the fleet and getting back onto our regular cycle now. But, but age has moved from our, our tra average tractor age used to be 1.5, and it's well over two now, 1.5 years. And on the trailer front, it's been even worse uh, until recently. Now, a lot of this is changing, and I think that you know the long term looks positive for that. Uh, but the last couple of years, I think all of us have a lot of work to do to get the fleets refreshed to where we need them to be. Right. And on the equipment side, you know, we've seen across the industry um, gains on equipment sales have gone down considerably from the, the highs that we saw last year. Is the levels that we're seeing today, is that more normal or is it would you characterize them as depressed year over year? It's obviously a, a very big headwind. But would you consider where, where we are now a more normal number? I think it's depressed, Lee. I think, uh, and especially if we think about what we paid for the equipment versus what we can get for it today, you know, I think there's going to be some room at some point as everybody gets back into the normal cycle where used truck and trailer prices move up. Um, but again, you need a good backdrop from a freight environment before you see that happen. And again, uh, I think, you know, I think we're going to go through a, a few years of where everybody's catching up and there's going to be pressure on the, the used truck and trailer market um, for some fleets if they don't get back on their cycle quick enough where they're having to sell too much in a depressed market. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, we, we'll have to wait and see. I don't think we're where the equipment prices are now uh, stays, it's going to go up over the long term. All right. And on the equipment side, just sticking with this, are, are you guys at PAM looking at uh, electric vehicles or any other technologies to reduce emissions? Is it something that your customers want you to do? Yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, we're definitely talking to the OEMs, uh, that we work with about EVs and staying uh, on top of it and other emission reducing technologies. The issue right now for us, because we're truly an over the road, longer length of haul carrier, is that the range of the EV vehicles, although it's gotten better, is not where it needs to be. And then the infrastructure in order to charge those vehicles is definitely not built out. And that it's gonna take time. So I think the key for all of us is to really keep pushing with the OEMs to get that range uh, developed out as technology improves too. That's that's the other thing, right? The, the technology still has to improve so the range can go up. And then, you know, the charging infrastructure is gonna be crucially important. And it's just like, uh, if, if you don't have enough charging infrastructure, it'll be just like truck parking today. Uh, what do you do? How do you find some place that you can go charge a vehicle if there's 10 guys waiting in line and you got a, you know, an important load for a customer that's got to deliver on time or a driver that needs to get home, but he's got to wait, you know, two days before he can charge his vehicle. So I think that's, that's one of the things that uh, we're having to, 
you know, I think we got a lot of work to do in the in the country to get that figured out. EVs are de- can definitely work in the short haul and local dedicated market. We're starting to see more and more of that. So really short length of haul, close to home, uh, where where folks can charge the trucks at their terminals. Uh, that's that's getting some a little bit of traction. Um, but I would say you know there's other technology that is looks to be at some point it might be viable like hydrogen and other things like that but again infrastructure and and then the technology catching up with what we need from an application standpoint to support our customers and their needs um, i would tell you pam's been on a path for for a long time now uh, to really reduce emissions, we've we've re- since in the past decade, uh, our trucks today are we, we've been able to take twenty two percent of CO two emissions out by just investing in in you know working on deadhead, working on uh, the the newest engine technology in our trucks, uh, side skirts on our trailers. There's all kinds of things that we've continued to do. Idle reducing technology is also another one that we've invested heavily in. And so um, I think those are those are the things that we've seen the biggest benefit so far and be commercially available and have the support that you need to put it on, you know, 2,500 trucks. EVs, we get we'll be we'll be right on the right on the front edge of understanding what's going on. And when it becomes available and uh, the infrastructure's there, I think that uh, you'll see more and more companies jump in there. And on the truck technology side, autonomous trucking, is that something that Pam has been looking at? Is it a technology that maybe doesn't fit your model for one reason or another? Can, can you talk about where you see autonomous trucking? I think, uh, again, it's at some point it's going to be commercially available. And I think it, it could be uh, a good game changer if it, if it's used the right way. I don't want to see it eliminate jobs, right? I want to see it make, make our uh, driver more productive and then also to uh, increase uh, the safety technology that's currently out there to make the roads safer. Also, uh, I think that's where a big benefit's going to come. And, and so we've looked at them and we've seen them and they're, they're pretty interesting to, you know, to be around and, and get to experience. Uh, there are still challenges there. And um, I think that, you know, you've seen it with some of the, some of the companies that were the early uh, adopters um, have had, you know, stubbed their toe a little bit as the technology wasn't fully ready to be implemented the way that maybe it was uh, intended. Um, but that's going to change, Lee. I think over time, you know, it, whether it be next year or five years from now, I think it's going to continue to keep moving forward. And, you know, we we definitely uh, keep our f- line in the water there to see what's going on, because I think there are, there are going to be some opportunities for it to help, uh, you know, make driver jobs better for sure. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I think the evolution is going to be slow and steady. Uh, I don't know if it'll be, if we'll have fully autonomous trucks, you know, in, in my lifetime, but we'll, we'll see what happens, at least across the United States. Obviously, there's some applications where it definitely does work in some geographies that work better than the others. Um, so let's uh, talk about d- 
demand, peak season. You mentioned earlier a lot of your customers are retail facing, if you will. Uh, are you seeing any sort of peak demand increase? I would say that, so like I said, 30 years now, the last year and this year, this year's, this year's better, but last year and this year, just the peak was muted, right? And uh, it's not over yet, but by now you would typically see things uh, getting much stronger for a short period of time. Uh, we're seeing some of that, but pockets of it. It isn't like across the board. So I think that, uh, you know, peak season is better than last year, which is a plus, but it's not back to where uh, it normally has been. And, and a lot there's a lot of things that go into that, right? It's inventories. I think customers are being more uh, cautious about uh, being overstocked, right? And not as willing to reduce prices to move through their inventory um, because they they can't. And so um, I think that that's what we've come across as customers have really gotten comfortable with having lean inventories. And the consumer, although they've the consumers held in strong, uh, I think they're being more selective now. And so you're going to see some, we've seen some customers that are definitely busier this year than last year. Uh, and then some customers that a peak just didn't materialize for. And uh, because they've been, I, I think, cautious to this point so that they don't get this overhang into 2024, which I think plays out good for uh, the industry as, as restocking has to happen at some point. And especially if the consumer stays strong through, you know, whatever challenges may be in front of us. Okay. And when you guys are looking at your long-term strategic plans, where is the growth coming from? Is it coming from your truckload business, your logistics business, and which sub-segments of those businesses is the growth coming from? Well, I would say long-term, it needs to come from all of it. Um, we, here's, here's what I would say. We have a big Mexico presence and that is going to continue to get invest investments. And we've seen it grow over the last, you know, 10 years significantly. Um, most importantly, the last three. And then on the U.S. truckload side, um, it's been the most challenged of all of our businesses because of just the overall environment. But it. It is, it is a growth engine for us. Um, and then, you know, on the non-asset side, uh, that we've seen that grow um, almost 100% in the last uh, four years, okay? From, from the 2019 range to now, we're, we're, uh, we're much bigger than we were there. Um, it, it makes up about 30, 34% of our revenue. Um, back, you know, four years ago, it made up, probably 12 to 15% of our revenue. So we're going to continue to invest there. We're also too going to look at organic. We need to be able to show that we can grow organically. And we did uh, the last, probably two of the last three years. This year, it's been, it's been tougher, way tougher uh, than it was the previous two years. But our team is committed to, to growing the, you know, the asset business in the U.S., um, over the long haul. And then on the, um, 
M&A side, we, we made our first acquisition last year in 20 years and learned a lot through the process. And um, it's put us in a position where we've got a blueprint on how to do it uh, multiple times over uh, when the time is right and when the right uh, type of ads, asset becomes available. So I think, you know, what, what our objective really is to get uh, back into the te mid-teens or higher uh, growth-wise over the long term. Um, and I think there's a lot of runway for us to do that. And the reason why is we really run our business uh, in the eastern half of the United States. We don't do much in the West at all, um, and we do Mexico. So Canada's going to be a, a, an opportunity for us at some point because we've learned how to do the cross-border business really well in and out of Mexico. Uh, I think that can parlay into being able to do it extremely well in and out of Canada. Although different, um, I think there's an opportunity for us. So um, it's... I, I think for us, Lee, it's like all of all of the things that we all the businesses that we are currently have all have a lot of opportunity to grow over the next 10, 15 years uh, at a minimum. Is, is it different to operate west of the Mississippi? Is that like an area where you can like increase your overall coverage by maybe buying smaller regional players? I mean, Obviously, California is a whole different story operating in that state. But outside of that, is that an area of growth or you would much rather grow going north and south? I would say that we want to grow by looking at the West. Um, I grew up, my trucking experience, not all of it, but most of it was in the West. So, but it wasn't in Pam's wheelhouse. It just wasn't what we were good at or what our network was. So rather than disrupting uh, during a disrupt, disruptful time, we stuck with our strategy and grew where we already were. Um, in the coming years, we'll be able to add some trucks into the West organically and grow on our own. And then, uh, you know, look for strategic acquisitions, open up the door there. Um, and there's been options for us to look at that from an acquisition standpoint over the last three years but nothing that was, uh, that was gonna fit with our model the way that uh, I believed needed to, you, you needed to happen for us to be successful by going out and spending the capital, but then also to executing at a high level with the type of support that you can have by doing an acquisition that is already in your network and you can help to get synergies by doing certain things uh, that fit with your network. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to really focus in on, hey, we've got plenty of opportunity in the East still. As we move out one, two, three years, starting to get ourselves into the West is a great opportunity while focusing on the fact that we're really good on the North and South uh, part of our business already. All right. And, you know, everybody's been uh, hit by inflation. Can you talk about how higher costs have impacted your business? Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, it's widely known and been talked about. I, th I think I'll be repeating a lot of things, but I would say that 
you know, equipment is uh, significantly more expensive, trucks and trailers, than it was, you know, three or four years ago. Uh, that's, that's, and it's, they've, they've started to come down a little bit as far as the pace of change in the inflation side of it. Um, but they're still more, they're still becoming more and more expensive each year. Um, trailers, we've seen the biggest inflation on. And I think that that's, that's going to change over time, I think, as every, especially as you go through a tougher cycle. And I think it's been slow to, that the equipment market's been slower to react because of all the refreshments that needed to have or happen. And so all this backlog that people are, you know, the big companies haven't been able to replace equipment uh, on their normal cycle for two and a half, three years. So I think it's still, it's, there's still going to be some upward pressure over the course of the next uh, couple of years, but I think it's going to come down some from where it is and hopefully get back to more uh, equilibrium a little bit where we don't have to take big increases every year. Insurance is continuing to be a challenge. It will be a challenge, uh, I think, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, maintenance is a big thing, too. And, it, and it's not just the aging equipment. It's now labor rates are much higher than they used to be uh, three years ago. So you're seeing parts and labor uh, inflation that are significant on the maintenance side. As you bring newer equipment in, you can reduce some of that, but you're not going to get past it all. And the thing I didn't say too, finance, uh, financing your business has gotten significantly more expensive also. So you got this, you got all these things that are hitting us at the right, at the same time, uh, when normally in a cycle like this, you'd see things start, you had some wiggle room through some of these areas to reduce cost. And then you add the high cost of fuel um, it's just made it, you know, really tough to reduce costs as uh, rates are going down. So behind you through your office window, I see a, a bunch of trucks. Are those Pam's trucks? Yeah. So those, those, those trucks there are trucks we pulled out. So we're in our trade cycle right now. Those are trucks where we pulled out, we're replacing them with new, new equipment. And so those once they get worked on, we'll be out of here and into the use into the used truck market. Gotcha. Looks like a lot of them. Yeah, there's. That, I I think it's. Uh, we have 400 trucks we're trading between uh, the first of October and the end of the year. So oh. it's it's a lot. That's a lot of equipment to to pull in and out. So uh, it and it's that's definitely not all of it, but it's you know it's spread out and. Uh, we're making some progress, which to me, I don't like to see it sitting out there, but it means we're making progress and getting our fleet age down, which is good. Okay, great. Um, do you uh, have any uh, bold predictions for 2024? <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I don't know about bold predictions, but I, I do. I am a firm believer, though, that uh, things are going to get better, okay, for um for us on the trucking side. And I think that um, it's because it's all a supply and demand type problem in this industry and it's very cyclical. And, you know, I, I think that uh, going through in an environment like this, um, 
because you've got this recency bias, you tend to think it's the worst you've been through, right? But I always tell our team like, hey, um, we, I remember the Great Recession and I remember going through that and I felt that same, the, the same way I did, I did today and it, it got better. Right. And I think that's the thing that we're we're talking about is, hey, we got to do a lot of things now to continue to fight through this stubbornly tough market. But ultimately, what we do now will set us up to have more success as the sun starts shining on, you know, the asset based carriers a bit more as we move through the cycle and knowing when if it's 2024 Lee. I sure hope it is, right? I, I sure hope that things, uh, you know, we don't run into a full-blown recession and it be, the consumer becomes weak. Then it gets a little bit more tough. And that's why it's cloudy. Who know the consumer has defied all odds a little bit uh, in the last, I would say, you know, year or so. And uh, I, hopefully that, you know, people keep spending money. That's, that's what I hope. That, that's what my prediction will be is people will keep spending money. Well, I always like to end things on a high note. So I think we're going to wrap things up there, Joe. I really appreciate your time and telling us more about uh, PAM transportation, the truckload industry and the brokerage industry. And um, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. You know, If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives and other freight transportation thought leaders. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass, or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.